Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We've got two World Cup goal scorers on this week's episode of the Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you once again, joined by Socceroos legends John Aloisi and Brett Holman to discuss the Premier League heading into the international break. A deluge of fixtures we've got coming your way on Off The Sport, as well as a cheeky look at the transfer window, which is about to explode with some big names off contract at the end of the season. Great to get Brett's insights with his wealth of experience from the Eredivisie and with Aston Villa in the Premier League, and he's got some great insight on the big talking points right now. Let's get straight into it. Well, it's a very weird feeling today, Wednesday, as we record this episode of the Gagan Pod, because there's been no live football to start the day for us here at Optus Sports. So we've found a way to uh, get over that and fill your day with some football chat, because we've got two absolute legends with us today. John, great to see you. John Aloisi, it's been about a fortnight since we've heard you on the airwaves. What's been going on? Well, I had a bit of a break in Hayman Island, which was great. Uh, it was spent time with my family, my sister's 40th birthday, and uh such a beautiful i have never been there before never been to the Sunday, so it was great to actually spend time there and uh, see what australia's got to offer oh lovely and was the alarm set wednesday and thursday last week you're still taking your champions league i still watch uh, the football dave that's uh, something when you're lying by the pool it's easy to watch a replay <laughs> or something like that so yeah no it's been good uh, football non-stop plus i had my nephews there a football mad and uh, it was able to talk to them and chew their ear off all day. Awesome, awesome. Well, we've got we've got uh, your old sparring partner back with you again today, Brett Holman. Great to see you, and great to see you've brought your assistant with you again today on our Zoom chat. Is that is that a dog on your lap again, or is or is he roaming around? What's he doing? We've got, we've got one on the on the couch, and we've got a new addition as well. So um, she's uh, she's eleven weeks old. It's a, it's a, it's the third uh, child, unfortunately. So sleepless nights. <laughs> a lot of dog crying at the moment, but um, it's it's a good thing in a way because it gets me up early to watch the football as well. So um, so that's a it's a good thing. Well, welcome back to you and welcome to your, your new assistant. Great to have you on board. What's keeping you busy day to day in in Queensland at the moment? Is it plenty of coaching uh, keep keeping you busy uh, in, in the football world as well? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's the main thing that I'm, uh, I'm focusing on at the moment. It's, uh, it's wrestling, I suppose, uh, post uh, life after football in regards to what, uh, what I want to do. And, uh, but, but I'm taking on the coaching role uh, pretty full on at the moment. Uh, it's, it's four days a week. Um, it's a little bit hard sometimes being on the sunny coast because you're fighting with different uh, sports, especially surfing. But um, no, it's, it's, it's going great. Um, the main thing is I'm actually enjoying it and, and I'm staying in contact with the game, which, which is you know, the one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm so passionate about, which is great. 
Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. And we get to hear your thoughts today, which will be great. We've got plenty to talk about. We'll wrap up where we've left the Premier League uh, over the weekend. We've got a bit of a break with that. We've got the World Cup qualifiers coming up, which uh, will have plenty of Euros implications as well in terms of form and fitness and fighting for positions. And um, we'll talk, chat a bit of transfer monkey business as well, because there's a lot to talk about in terms of uh, a few big names. In fact, as many big names as I can ever remember coming off contract at the end of the season. And the international window is always a time when uh, the U.S. UK and European presses start to talk about that. So we'll tuck into all of that as well. But just one off the start as we record on Wednesday morning. The headline story out of Europe this morning, guys, was about Moussa Dembele, the Atletico Madrid striker, who collapsed in training and required medical attention. He is okay, but it was quite a scary scene, John. In the end, it was low blood pressure. It is very eerie seeing these scenes uh, at the highest level of football with someone so young and so fit. It is scary, and um, but you have to give credit to Atletico Madrid because uh, if you see the live footage and when he went down, within seconds there was not only the, the club doctor, the physios, uh, they also had an ambulance in the background and you, and you see the players sprint off and go get uh, the stretcher and, and, and then he was off to hospital within a minute or two. So that, that's, uh, that's frightening how well... Uh, they were able to do that and how organised they were. And luckily, there was nothing too serious because we have seen in the past players drop and have uh, heart issues or heart attacks or, or, or issues with their heart that they've ended up dying. And um, I remember being in Spain when Antonio Porta, the Sevilla player, um, collapsed on the field and they, they took him inside into the change room and then uh, all scenes, you know, it, you know, it was it was bad to watch. It was actually scary to watch, but he ended up um, dying and uh, they still respect him to this day. But uh, in terms of, you know, there's always a banner at the stadium about that. But so you can see why in Spain they're, they're so conscious of making sure there's medical staff there all the time, every day, every minute. They're watching training. They're there just in case something like that happens. What's the scariest thing you've seen, both of you guys, at training or or, or, the, or a time where um, it really rattled the group? It doesn't have to be that grave, but something that rattled the group that you were playing or coaching with. I think um, we were discussing it a little bit um, just uh, uh, offline, me and John, when we had one of our defenders at Brisbane Law. Um, it's not nothing that completely rattles you, but, it, but it's something that puts things into, in, into perspective. Um, Avram was our defender back in the day, uh, a Greek international, uh, uh, an absolute monster and a beast of a player, you know, breaks his ankle and it was horrific. But um, I think it just puts things into perspective as to, you know, you have to be so careful in this game. But, you know, thankfully he was okay and he, was, and he did his rehab and, and he could play again. But, um, yeah, that was something that, that rattled me, definitely. The worst thing about that, Brett, and, and I remember that clearly because it, it was it was a rainy day in Brisbane and um, and Avram was sitting on the floor and, and uh, the physio was holding his ankle together. And uh, we had to wait nearly an hour for an ambulance. And that, that was, I can just imagine the pain that uh, Avram was in. He is a beast of a person yeah. and uh, he didn't show the pain as much, but you could just see in his face the agony. And, you know, it, it, I just, I felt for him because yeah. our hands were tied and, and, you know, we, we, we had no other way. We, we, we called the, the hospital, we called the ambulance, but it, it took so long. So you can imagine what he was feeling and, and we had to hold an umbrella on top of him so he wasn't getting too cold and wet. And, uh, you know, it was uh, n not great to see. And, and also I've seen players, you know, being concussed in training and 
um, again, that's a, a little bit of a scary feeling because you just don't know, you know, how long they're going to be out for. And um, the only thing is in Australia is that we only have a doctor. And I don't know if it's changed since I've been coaching or, or since I played, but we only used to have a doctor come to training once a week if we're lucky. And that was to check on players either before training or after training. It was up to the physio to be there uh, the whole training session. So if something serious did happen, we're in the physio's hands. Now, are they qualified if someone does drop with a heart condition? Yes, we've got a defibrillator at training. So something like that, they, they will be able to use. But something a little bit more serious, you know, you would like a sports doctor there just in case it uh, it is serious. You know, going back, like you just said, how how horrific those scenes were from Dembele and how swift and 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 well acted and prepared these top clubs are you know that's that's how it should be really when you're talking about you know top sport and and benchmark setting and actually you know the football side but outside of football you know how well prepared atletico madrid were it's 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 fantastic interesting lesson there and a scary story but a good result there for dembele and and atletico madrid that everything is okay moving on guys to the football uh, and some interesting interesting topics to wrap us up from where we take a break we take a siesta from the premier league and i feel like it has been a long time i don't don't remember when the last international break was but i feel like we've been on the premier league train at 100 miles an hour for a couple of months now and i think uh jürgen klopp and uh, the other managers who are crying about fatigue um, will be having a big sigh of relief right now so let's wrap it up with a couple of fast topics and i'll go to you first john um the happiest almost anxious manager heading into this bit of a break is Happiest has to be Pep um, for the results, for the way they're playing, for the the injuries they haven't got. Um, so they've got everyone to really select um, at the moment. And, uh, you know, they, they, they could win the quadruple. So, you know, how can you not be happy in a position like that? And the players probably won't get much of a rest because all of them got international football coming up. But he will get a rest mentally. So he will be able to freshen up for a few days, whether it's three or four days that he doesn't think about football, just spends time with his family, recharges his battery, and then he's ready for the run-in. So I think that's a he should be probably the happiest manager. And the one that's probably most anxious, especially after 3-0 loss to Brighton, mm-hmm. has to be Steve Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, they're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. And uh, if they do get relegated, I fear for that club. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah, you took both managers off me, uh, uh, Johnny. But um, Steve Bruce is, is is the main one. You know, if you have a look at their run in as well, um, I think they're in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, so much problems with the dressing room, um, a, a lot of you know problems. I think there was almost even like a push and a shove, and 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 a, with one of the players as well. So um, obviously, I think he's actually lost the dressing room now, which it looks like. You know, huge game against Brighton that they actually lost, which is a six-point game. I think, um, you know, if, if there's ever a time in sacking a manager, probably now is the time with the, with the break and, and for a new one to freshen up because I do think they're in, uh, in some massive uh, problems. Yeah, that's an interesting one about the timing because, like, I thought maybe if there was ever a game where Newcastle could put up a rearguard action, show a bit of character, it was against a side that has been struggling to finish their chances and it was anything but. So when you've got a side that clearly doesn't have the character or the temperament, at this point, do you have to pull the plug, particularly with an international break and a chance to come back with a clean slate for the run home? Do you have to pull the plug on the manager, John, to get a reaction out of the group? If they stay with Bruce, is it just a slippery slide down to sort of sleepwalking to relegation? 
Oh, look, it's a difficult one. We're seeing it from a distance, of course. So we're not inside the football club. We don't know what the issues are within that football club. Is Steve Bruce the problem? Um, I don't think he's the sole problem of that football club. I think there's a lot of issues uh, going on there. You know, Steve Bruce talk about, uh, talked about leaks the other week, and um, we all know uh, the ownership uh, issues that they have. Are the players happy within the club? Are they happy with Steve Bruce? Look, there was a there was a stat that came out in Italy not long ago that um, sacking the manager during the season doesn't always get you the best results long term or even short term. Um, but this one here, this one here, it, it, you know, they've only got well, how many games left? Ten. Um, it, it might be that one that you just need a little bit of a change of scenery, a little bit of a boost just in short term maybe just to get them and keep them safe because if they do get relegated or oh, it's not a it, not only is it a bad feeling and you're going to lose players it's hard mm. to get back up especially if a club is not that well run and at the moment it doesn't look like it's well run yeah exactly I'm just going to butt in I think that the huge thing is, is is actually the selling of the club as well because if they do get relegated then it's going to be so much more uh, troubling and harder for actually to for Newcastle to, to you know receive new owners it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot harder I still think that the you know Steve Bruce hasn't done enough to to actually turn the tide when when it's been you know such a you know terrorizing uh, uh, ter- terrible you know results for for Newcastle I think he hasn't done enough so I think he needs to uh I think he needs to go um I think there does need to be a change and they've only got 10 games like John said and, uh, and it needs to be changed very quick. On, uh, on the Optusport programming, John, Don Hutchinson said he feared that if Newcastle do go down, a similar sentiment to you, John, that they might do a, and I think this is the biggest insult you could give to a Newcastle fan, they could do a Sunderland and end up yeah. on a slippery slope. And I, I know don't we, say that to a Newcastle fan. No, I know I have a few, we have a few <laughs> colleagues here that are Newcastle supporters and they are very, very anxious and I think they have every right to be, particularly with the way Fulham are just building at the right time of the season yeah. to jag enough results from well from one end of the spectrum going down to the top end of town uh brett the biggest winner from the champions league draw friday night we had that uh on optus sport we know what we're getting in the quarterfinals and beyond now um who's yeah. the biggest winner i think uh, man city man city's oh. the biggest winner um I, I just think that you know the way they're playing i think any other team that they would have uh, uh, would have liked to have received is probably maybe Porto, um, but but you know them playing uh, Dortmund, um, the way they the way they're pushing, um, I think they're in so much form. Going back to what John said, Pep Guardiola is this type of uh, character, you know, where he needs that energy. He's going to get refreshed after the international break, and he's just going to come out guns blazing. And and you know he he wastes he, he waste. he uses so much energy to 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 pep these guys up that uh, I think this is a this is a great draw for them. I think you're right in terms of the matchup with Dortmund, but then they've either got Bayern Munich or PSG and that's where I think they could fall over. Look, yeah. it, it, it will be an unbelievable semi-final if yeah. it's Man City Bayern Munich um because Bayern Munich it seem like that uh, no one can stop them at the moment either. Yeah. Um, so they'll be the two best teams in Europe. I think it's Chelsea I think Chelsea will probably look at it and go, you know what? 
it's opened up for us here. Porto, not an easy tie. We understand that because they beat Juventus. Yeah. But um, I think that the Real Madrid and the Liverpool game, you know, during the season, Tuchel's already beaten uh, Liverpool. So they could be confident that they could get through in that. Yeah. Real Madrid aren't the Real Madrid of uh, three years ago when they won the Champions League. So uh, Chelsea will be looking at it and going, you know what? We're a big chance here of, uh, of winning a... Um, well, going as far as possible in terms of the Champions League. And, uh, and look, they've got uh, a couple of other titles to go for as well. I think it's opened up very nicely for Chelsea. And I heard a funny um, summary of the Liverpool-Real Madrid rematch being it's the same two teams literally as 2018. They're just not as good. But I think that... No, that's not totally yeah, true. Ca- not- Carius is in goal. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, Van Dyke out injured. Yeah. A big, big, big okay. difference. When you look at the two centre backs, this is where I look. I think it's a tight, very tight tie in terms of Real Madrid and Liverpool. But it, if there's one thing that Liverpool will probably fear is Benzema's form. Yeah. going into this tie because they got two centre-backs that aren't their natural... Uh, well, we know at the beginning of the season it was mainly Van Dijk and Gomez, so they're out. Um, yeah. And Benzema, he international break, he doesn't get selected for France. No. So he's going to go in fresh. Yeah. yeah. And, he's, and I think, look at, look at his form. He's been, he's been phenomenal. And he's actually, I think, taken more on, upon his shoulders since, you know, Ronaldo's left as well. And, and yeah, he's, he's in some... Unbelievable form, and I think you can uh, you can basically can compare him and push him up there with the Lewandowski's of the world because he's uh, he's in that, he's in really great form. Yeah. yeah, and is this the first time Salah and Ramos face each other since the final? Yeah, except for when the very cheeky organizer at UEFA put them in the same row or behind each other at one of the awards <laughs> a couple of years ago. <laughs> other than that, yeah, it is the first time, and uh, that's going to be there's th- there there are great storylines everywhere. Haaland against City as well. The rematch of last year's final. I think Mauricio Pochettino and PSG are the biggest losers because they have to get through Bayern and then potentially City. And uh, just to go back to your point about Chelsea, well, they've had the best dress rehearsal for Porto in playing Atletico Madrid. So um, I can't wait for this to roll around. There is is a lot to look forward to uh, there. Now, speaking of trophies up for grabs, well, Manchester United are well and truly alive in the Europa League. And and to be fair, it, uh, it is set up the stage is set for Arsenal and Manchester United to make the final there. They'd be disappointed if they don't. But to matters that have just gone down on the weekend, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer resting Bruno Fernandes and Luke Shaw to face Leicester, which they lost. What do you make of that, John? Strange. I, I think it was a, a risk that he obviously took and it backfired. And now, again, we don't know in terms of uh, if they had to rest because there was injury concerns or if there was an issue with overloads and, and you know, a player could get injured if they did start. But looking at it, they've got international break. Now, if they are carrying something, surely they could pull them out of the international games if they're not fit enough. This is an opportunity missed because if Solskjaer doesn't win a trophy, that's two years in a row. This was a big opportunity to win something in the FA Cup and to rest two of your most informed players because Shaw has been unbelievable this season at left back and Fernandez is their main player. I, I, I found it strange and staggering that he did rest them knowing that you've got a bit of a break coming up. Yeah, completely, completely all over it. Um, I don't even know if it was a gamble, really. I think it was just a bad decision that has been made. Uh, if you look at it now, Leicester played them off the park, I think. Um, you know, fantastic goals. 
Um, the players he brought in had, had no form, no rhythm coming into the game, and you saw that. Um, and exactly what John said, you know, your two informed players resting them to what probably could have been a, a, a trophy this season. Um, yeah, huge gamble that's, that's completely backfired. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You think with Fernandez, and I know at some point they were going to have to rest him. There's been a lot of talk of that, yeah. but he did play. It wasn't 90 minutes. He started against Real Sociedad when they were comfortably ahead in the, after the first yeah. leg. So I feel like he has had opportunities to do this. And this was a really odd time, particularly given their record in recent cup semis uh, has been poor. So I think it's a massive opportunity missed, but credit to Leicester who just keep performing when the pressure is on them, which sparked my next question, looking at the success of Kelechi Iheanacho, um in that Leicester side and his recent goal scoring record. What's your favorite uh, current success storyline in, in the Premier League, John? I have to say Jesse Lingard. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, he was in the wilderness for a couple of seasons there and, and, you know, forgotten about. And and I even forgot how good he was as a player. And I'm thinking, you know, he's gone. His career's finished. Um, He goes to West Ham, new lease of life, shows the form that we saw years back. And now in the England national team again, ready for the Euro. Lucky the Euro was a year later for him because yeah. now he's got the opportunity to play in the Euro. I think he's been sensational. Probably the informed player, along with Ignacio um, of Leicester, I, I think that Lingard, not only scoring goals, setting up goals, just dangerous the way it, you know he's, he's playing at the moment at West Ham. It's been a great move for him. And uh, that's the best storyline, individual storyline, probably of recent uh, months in the Premier League. About six weeks ago, when we did our gallery of midfielders or attacking midfielders in contention for England, the punters laughed at us when we had a cheeky photo of Lingard in at the end of it. But alas, he's in the squad. So well done to him. What about you, Brett? Yeah, no, I, I was definitely putting my money on Jesse Lingard. But if you talk about a little bit more longevity type of thing, then I would go for Luke Shaw. You know, yep. if you see the way uh, the way he's performing, he's stayed injury-free, uh, injury which is, I think is a huge thing for him. He's battled injuries uh, constantly uh, the last few years now. Um, and, you know, to get to get back into the England squad as well, and, and like John said, the Euro's coming up. You know, I think for him, it's a, it's a fantastic story. Uh, everybody knows that he's a great player. He's actually getting on the score sheet as well, sneaking into that back post. So, um, How you know, lean think, does he look, Brett? He looks a yeah. lot leaner and fitter, and, and I right. think that's a big thing for him. And I think, yeah, so, so yeah, personally, I think he's, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic for Man United because uh, he's helped them a lot. So, uh, but for him personally, it's, a, it's great that he stayed injury-free. Does that make Alex Tellers the signing of the season? Because Alex Tellers arriving made Luke Shaw run a few extra laps around the field to get himself fit. <laughs> Look, whatever it takes to get the best out of any individual. It's funny because uh, I'm sure we'll talk about Jose Jose Mourinho uh, very soon, but um, he 
didn't get the best out of Luke Shaw. He actually killed his confidence. Yeah. And, and, and he looked heavy. He looked like uh, a player that didn't deserve to be playing Premier League football at all. Right. And then uh, this season, you know, I, I just see the confidence that he's playing with, not only going forward, because he's always had that ability to go forward and do well. His defensive side, he's been really good defensively. And uh, I've been impressed with him that the whole season, not just this the last few months, the whole season he's, he's been up there with probably United's best player along with Fernandez. And then, and then also, if you look back at exactly explaining about Mourinho, look at what David Moyes has done for Jesse Lingard, for example. You know, he, he worked under him at, the, at Man United and, uh, and now he's getting fantastic results uh, from him at West Ham. So uh, I think that, uh, that says something about a manager as well. You guys push us very nicely into our next topics. So there's two topics that are, are, are nagging away at me that I want to find out a little bit more about. And and you mentioned Jose, who we we love to talk about on this podcast. And we've got a high, we've got a, a, a love hate relationship with Jose. And at the moment, I'm a bit conflicted because Jose, after the game, feels his players aren't playing for him. He was very upset after Friday's Europa League uh, defeat to Dinamo. Dinamo Zagreb. It was quite an extraordinary game to watch. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. And then to see his interview, you got Larissa's interview, then Harry Kane's interview after they uh, did bounce back in the Premier League against Aston Villa, who were not at the races. He's got a, he now also has a bit of time to reflect. John, what does happen now with Jose Mourinho? Because you know, you, you've always got a very calm look at things. You don't come out with the, in a, a big headline statement for the sake of it. But I, I'm looking at it now going, is this, is this done? It's a, it's a difficult one because I, I was reading just last night that John Obi Mikel, the, the former Chelsea player, talked really highly about Mourinho. He said that he plays mind games all the time. He, he gives you a little nudge or a little punch, he called it, um, to, to try and see how you react from that. And he goes, and, and he, he had that with him and he reacted really well when, and, you know, he, he fought for his position and he, he said that he owes his career to Mourinho. But then you go to the other side and you see it's backfired a lot of times. It backfired at Man United, with uh, especially with Pogba. Um, so does Mourinho do it to everyone? Does he know who he has to do it with? Look, I don't like to question someone that's had so much success over the years in terms of winning trophies and what he's been able to achieve. But if you look at his last few stints at Chelsea, ended up going off track because of that. He lost the players. At Man United, he ended up losing the group. And now it seems like uh, what was damning was uh, Lloris's uh, interview after the Zagreb game. For me, that means that you're questioning your leader. You're saying that there's issues within the club, basic issues. You're saying that players... There's these groups, there's little, uh, you know, groups in, in, at the training ground, the ones that aren't starting, don't really try. Now, you, you're never going to achieve anything if players aren't together as a group. And he's saying what a difference it was a few years back, meaning under Pochettino, and what a difference it is now under Mourinho. So if he is saying that, that means that Mourinho is losing that changing room, losing the dressing room, and you can't see it going on much longer. But Mourinho, being Mourinho, he could go on to win the uh, Carabao Cup against Man City. He could cause an upset like that. He could go on to make Champions League football in terms of finishing the top four, and then he would stay on. But if he does miss out on those two, I think he's gone. And he I, rest? Uh, 
I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think he, yeah, he's he's running a, he's walking a fine line at the moment, and and exactly what John said with Larice, you know, the 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 manager's the top of the iceberg basically, and he's almost uh, having a having a dig at him in 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 a certain way, really. Um, the odd thing that I, I missed, I suppose, was that Mourinho came out after the game against uh, Dinamo. Was was that you know he, he he talked about his players' attitudes, but I'm thinking the Mourinho that I know and and the special one that we all know from back in the day with Chelsea and Real Madrid, that he was that type of manager to change things at halftime. So, you know, the tie was still ongoing at halftime and, and, and everything was okay with Tottenham, but he still couldn't do that. Um, and I think he was that manager who would see things and, and would still be able to change things. And that says a lot for me where I don't think he has the control of the dressing room because he couldn't change things. Um, and, and I think that's a huge point. And, and, but on the other hand, what John said, a few good results, a great run into the end. He makes Champions League football and wins a trophy again, which could happen. Um, but yeah, I think it's yeah he's in a tough he's in a tough spot at the moment. You said something interesting, John, though, by referencing Mikel, because what Mourinho said after the game, which was very pointed, was he was talking about the modern player and he's talking about the psychology, the psychological profile of younger people is not an easy one. And it was almost one of the first times I felt he was admitting that maybe his messages weren't getting across. And then I sort of watch those interviews back to back and you had Mourinho saying my messages aren't getting across and Larice saying we're not getting the knowledge we're not getting the blueprint to go out there this is what is is, is coming out um what happens in the sheds when the messages manager's message doesn't get through anymore when you're not listening oh well then uh, you can see it in performances but you can see it in body language you can you can also see it in interviews it's it's a very very big thing but uh, we used to see it uh, because then you start to see the clicks in the changing room start to, to form. And that's, that's when it starts to, to get that, you know, that there's going to be an issue. Now it happens quite a bit, especially when you're fighting relegation, which I fought many of that um, you, you could actually sense when the, you know, the manager has lost the, the change room. I remember it, even in Spain, we had, we had a manager that um, he was, he was very miserable every single day. And, um, and, you know, it, it got to a stage that after two years of having him, it was like, you know, we can't deal with this anymore. And you could see the performances drop. So, you know, it was his time to go. And we realised, and the, and, the, and the hierarchy realised that it was his time to go as well. When, when you realise, what, what does that mean? Does it, is, is it, you're never downing tools because of your pride in professional performance. But is it the cohesion? Is it the, that last-ditch effort? Is it in training, the application? of it? Is it an instruction that you just go, Nah, I'm going to go to the front post when he wants me to go to the back post. What what is that? Oh, it, it's more probably the training. Uh, it, it is that the intensity drops in training, the you know the enthusiasm drops in training because every professional footballer once they step out onto the pitch wants to perform. But it's it, you know I don't know a footballer that just wants to go on the pitch and walk around. They they want to perform, but sometimes it's hard to actually get to the level that you want to get to because the training intensity is not there, and uh, and you see that a lot. Now another thing that when when managers I don't like the Mourinho style of blaming individual players out in, in the in the public. I I think that's a quick way to lose a group of yeah. players. 
I, I really do. And, and I've noticed that in the past when managers have done that while I've been involved, you know, players come back in going, what, what's going on? You know, aren't we in this together? He always says, we're in it together. We're in it together. And then he goes and points a finger at one of our teammates or at myself or, or someone else. And that's a quick way to lose a change room. Now, when he's saying that the, the actual, uh, the younger professional has changed, it has, it definitely has. I think now it's more actually they want more um, tactical instructions rather than motivation. You know, mm. the, the motivation is more, okay, uh, giving you confidence in going, go out on the pitch and actually play without that fear. Uh, whereas Mourinho, if you see, it, it, it's very motivational. It's very, you know, playing games with him, dropping him, leaving him in the stands, um, not picking him for three games. Yep. If you do that to a younger player now, he's lost his confidence. Yeah, he, he, he needs games. He needs rhythm. And, and that's what Jesse Lingard, for instance, mm. has had at West Ham. Confidence of the manager, a run of games, and you see now Jesse Lingard perform like he has done in the past. Did you get the sense, Brett, that the players that were left out of, that were left in the team, sorry, I should say, for the Villa game, were almost the last players left that he feels he still trusts? It could, it could possibly be. Um, going back to what John said, it, it, it happens. And, and you do feel it in the dressing room. There's, there's, you know, little rumblings that, that that begin to happen with little groups, and 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 then you know that that you know there's trouble on the way. Um, uh, look, in in a way, it was fantastic for them to bounce back and 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 beat a tough Villa side. So, um, but on the other hand, what you said is a, is a great point. It could almost be where I don't think he has many players that he can actually trust anymore because, which is which you know a lot of players don't like, and and I certainly don't like either. Is you start pointing the finger and especially out in the press when everybody's like, okay, we do stay together, what John said, but we keep it in house. We talk amongst ourselves and, and for him to come out always, always on numerous occasions and basically blame his whole squad. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. And Bale this morning or last night coming out and saying that um, it was always in his mind that he's going back to Real Madrid after this season to say that now, yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's a very happy camp. I don't think he's very happy at all. He, he's, get away. He's, he was happy to get away as well uh, for, for, the, for the internationals. Also, just small little digs, it looks like, at, uh, at Mourinho, which doesn't sound great, does it? No, the cliques thing is very interesting that you say, um, and I suppose you both experienced, but what, by referencing that, in that um, when Kane, after the game, after Villa, basically said, we, we ran today, we had an attitude today, i.e. I read that and said, the others didn't the other day. So in a nutshell, is Mourinho in the Premier League next year, gents? On the spot. Big question. What do you think? No. I, I still think he will be because Mourinho's got a knack He'll of be getting Norwich. out of situations. <laughs> in Norwich. Uh, yeah, but you're putting me on the spot there, Dave. At least Brett come out. I'm, I'm sitting on the fence on that one. <laughs> I think I think uh, with, with Daniel Levy and the inconsistency of... of of, of a manager that, that shouldn't be so inconsistent and, and you know, the stuff that's going on, you know, he's that type of high-profile manager that, that doesn't have this. You don't have this coming from Everton, from an Ancelotti. And, um, and, and I think, uh, yeah, he hasn't proved his worth, uh, in, in my opinion. The only thing is, is that uh, w- with the whole COVID situation and the money lost, the, yes. are they willing to s- splash <laughs> out and, and yeah. virtually get rid of him? And then... Yeah. 
try and get at one of those world-class managers in, in, in Nagelsmann. Because mm. when you look at Nagelsmann, he's probably the best fit for a, a Tottenham side yeah. that, you know, trying to keep Kane because there's also been talk that Kane's silence on uh, whether he's going to stay on, whether he will leave. Mm. Um, if he does leave, you know, what a loss that will be for Tottenham. So if Mourinho's there, does it mean that Kane leaves? That, that that's I think that's where the hierarchy of Tottenham have to really look at and go who's more powerful who's our prized possession and I'd yeah. think it would be Kane. Yeah, maybe it all depends on whether uh, maybe Mourinho is the key to another all or nothing series. They can call it nothing or nothing if they win no trophies. <laughs> maybe that's the key to Daniel Levy's future. Um, speaking of not fitting in, it was curious that going back to the Manchester United game where Bruno Fernandes didn't play, finally Donny Van der Beek did, and uh, it's been an interesting year for him and an odd signing um i think it was rio ferdinand that came out and said he actually feels sorry for him because almost square peg ran whole kind of recruitment territory um and i'd just love to know from your experiences brett because you you, you didn't make a dissimilar move to donny van der beek um what's yeah. your read on that situation and and how how the the different styles of the leagues how difficult yeah. it is to adapt and also then when the manager changes his tune as well yeah no look uh, I, I still have to uh, find out in a way or, or once that actually comes out I presume Donny van der Beek will leave Man United um, and the stories might eventuate after that once he does make a transfer I still think he will make a transfer at the end of the year um, it's hard because I think uh, the the cultures between the Netherlands and, and, and the English football is is a lot different um, for him to go there a, a different playing style altogether from Ajax you know having the ball controlling the game uh, going in there, uh, uh, you know, a lot of attacking football. I don't see that a lot at Manchester United. It's a lot of counter-attacking football. But also the discussions that would have gone ahead when you're talking about Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, um, McTominay is the one who always seems to always get the nod now. Um, why do you need to invest, you know, 40-odd million euros for a player that they don't really need? Um, I think that would have been the huge discussion or, or, or question mark in, in, in my eyes um, that Man United should be asking themselves, really. Uh, also, Donny van der Beek to say, okay, where am I actually going to fit in? Um, he doesn't fit into that squad at all, in my opinion. But saying that, um, the culture shock that I received when I went to Aston Villa um, was completely different. Um, training wasn't, wasn't a main focus in, in the UK, whereas the Dutch football and the Dutch schooling was work, work, work at, at training. And, and, and it took a long time for me to adapt to that. So maybe, yeah, it could be a year of, of, of adapting for him, but I think it's, it's, it's a year too long and, and I think he might make a move. When you, when so you with that, that would you, can I just ask quickly, John, yeah. when you say training wasn't the focus, you mean like the tactical rigor of training or, 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 or the intensity of training? What did you mean by that? Yeah. The, 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 the focus, the, the, the tactical side, but, but definitely the focus. The focus was always uh, laid upon, especially, you know, that was the main shock. And we had three Dutch boys move at the same time with me, with Ron Flair and Kareem Alamadi, both from, from different sides in the, in the Eredivisie at that stage. And we all looked at each other and it was like, you know, focus was, was you know, you play as you train sort of type thing. Um, whereas when we moved to Villa, you trained and the intensity was there, but it, it was just like you were, you went out there to train and that was it. There was no focus right. on uh, that Saturday afternoon or that Sunday afternoon. It was solely based on you have to stand there for the game, which is, which is what you have to do. But the culture shock, what we received because the Dutch school was, no, you have to very focus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Saturday you'll be able to produce, whereas it was complete opposite in the UK. 
Yeah, just just on the the sign, look, and and Brett makes a good point that sometimes it does take a year to adjust to you know a, a different culture, a, a different league. Um, but I, I think that it it was the wrong club for Donny Van der Beek to go to because I watched him play at Ajax against the Tottenham in the semi final, and and he was playing in a side that play great football that dominate possession that he he just knew each other that they knew each other's movements back to front very similar to a man city he could fit into that style of football now another example is de jong at uh, barcelona it took him a year to adjust to spanish football but you knew that once he did adjust the style of football that barcelona play was very similar to ajax so once he got that right he was going to sit, and now he's been one of their star players this season. Donny van der Beek needs to move. It's not the right club for him, especially if Solskjaer stays on, which he, you presume he will. The style of football does not suit him at all. And on a personal level, and so I know, Brett, you obviously, after a period of time, realised you had to move from, from Villa. Um, is it Does it come down as well to the move is right at the time and then whether it be change of manager, change of something, how tangible is that to your own personal success? And I, and, I, and I reference now Jesse Lingard with Moyes, Martin Odegaard with Mikel Arteta and Donny van der Beek with Solskjaer compared to, you know, what you read on that is based on the experience you had as well there. Because it seems like sometimes it can just be that you go, right, I actually need to get out of here to reignite things. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the whole point that he has to look, uh, you know, after the next couple of months when the season ends and say, hey, you know, you look at the positions that have been filled in, you know, those were world-class players that were brought in as well. And, and he just doesn't fit in that in that team, especially the starting 11. So, you know, in regards to, you know, John would know as well and, and, and would say the same thing. You do your homework before you end up moving to a club, especially such a, an important move in your career. Um, you know, going from that huge Ajax team that, that had an unbelievable run in the Champions League, um, you know, having such a great tournament, a, a good name, that's the, the right decision that you have to make when you do make that transfer. Um, this wasn't the right one for him. And and I don't think a, a managerial change at Man United will actually help that. I think Odegaard is a little bit different in terms of, uh, I think, the style of football at Real Madrid suits. I think the style of football at Real Sociedad, where he was the year before that, suited him. And Arsenal suits him. It's just the belief and the backing of the manager and the rhythm of games um, at Arsenal that he's getting now, he's able to show what he's capable of doing. He didn't have that at Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, he was in, out, played uh, here, there. And and that was because Zidane didn't really believe that he was a starting 11 player. But uh, in terms of style of football, I think all the clubs that he's been at have suited his style. And, and that's a style that dominate possession. He's able to get the ball in between the lines in those dangerous areas and have that final pass, score goals. And he's showing. And a lot of people question when they sign there at Arsenal, oh, well, they don't need a player like that. Yes, they do. Yeah. And they should go all out to sign him because I think he's the replacement of the Ozil that was the, the, his best in the past. Yeah, you look at you look at Ozil and Aaron Ramsey. You know, two huge losses, and they were they were a lot of assists and a lot of goals. And and you know, his Odegaard has, has come in and, and and done really well. Like you said, when you get that confidence from an Arteta to say, "Hey, go out and do it," you know, we know what your your, your capabilities are. So um, and and he's shown it so far, which is which is fantastic for him. Hopefully he can stay there because he needs to find a, 
a stable place instead of uh, constantly moving around as well and maybe uh, prove his, uh, his uh, you know, high, you know, that talent sort of uh, what everybody's uh, hyped about him. Now, Van der Beek, uh, Lingard and Odegaard will all be hoping to feature at the Euros in the middle of the year, which you can see on Optus Sport, of course. But before then, we're going to fill our boots over the next seven days or so. I think I counted, and my maths isn't my strong point, but I counted every individual game, and I think there's 80 over the next seven days. Now, Are you I'm watching even, all 80? I'm not even going to watch all 80. <laughs> but there's plenty of highlights to, to um, lap up on the Optus Sport app, on the Optus Sport social. The team will be farming through all the best stuff to bring you over the next couple of days. But there is a big focus on, okay, yeah, walk-up qualifiers in the long term, but the consequences for all the players heading into the Euros. And it all begins on Thursday morning. Um, Turkey kicks it all off at 4 a.m. against the Netherlands. And then all the big nations are in action over the next little while. France play Ukraine on Thursday. Belgium play Wales. Um, we've got, who else? We've got Serbia against the Republic of Ireland tomorrow as well. But we're going to kick off our chat with England because that's where a lot of the focus is. And it's actually fascinating at the moment because Gareth Southgate really does have one of the best squads on paper. And I want to kick off this discussion about their their depth and, and, and their best options. And the first question to you, John, is, is actually, he's got to pick a formation as well, doesn't he? Because he has so many different ways he can do this. Um, so I want to pick, you know, before we look at the head-to-heads, What's he going to play? What should he play? How does he get the best out of this amazing group? Look, it looks like he's going to play with three at the back because all the centre-backs that he's ended up uh, picking in the squad, you, you think, and what he's been playing in the past couple of years is being three at the back. I would like to see him go four at the back and because then you're able to unleash more of your attacking threats that you have. And and he's got so many going forward. And, you know, I'll, I'll name a few after, but, uh, you know, the amount of great, not only front three, you're talking about those midfielders, those attacking midfielders like Foden and Mount. And, you know, I know Grealish has been out injured, but even Grealish and you've got even... Um, Madison. Madison that didn't even make the squad and you've got Lingard and you've got... So I would like to see him, if it was myself coaching England at this present time, I would go for a 4-3-3, but with two attacking midfielders, one six just sitting there. And I think you could cause so much trouble. With that side there, playing at home at Wembley, majority of the time for the Euros, they should be on the front foot. I, I, I just think that three at the back... Um, a lot of the time can be a little bit of a negative mindset for your players as well that, all right, we're, we're a little bit worried defensively, whereas, um, you know, I think going the other way can actually have the opposite effect that, you know what, we're not afraid of anyone. We're going to take the game to everyone and we're going to beat everyone. And I think that's with these players here, he probably can. I'm going to jump in quick. I, I, I totally agree because you actually want to fit so many attacking players in. It, and and that's the the, the the fun thing about it and, and, and the exciting thing for Southgate is that you've got so many players in some good form. Um, let's fit them in. And what John said, it actually it actually sounds realistic more than more than anything to have two attacking midfielders pushing on. Um, you know, you've got a Henderson, a Declan Rice who can always be that screen and 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 and, and cover the defenders and and you know, let those five just have almost almost free reign sort of type of thing because uh you know, they'll be so powerful if, if, if that happens. Okay, so what is that balance? Because I think there's a lot of talk that Declan Rice might actually be the unsung hero potentially of this team in the Euros. Is it Declan Rice? Is it Jordan Henderson? Are you playing with flashy wingers up top? Are you playing with your Grealishes or Foden's? 
what do you do? Do you, can you have a bob each way, John? Well, I, at the moment, I think that in the Euro, you can't just rely on one starting 11 side. I think you're going to have to rotate anyway because that there's games coming thick and fast and then you're going to have injuries, you're going to have suspensions. And um, so if you're going to play with 1-6, I would say that it should be a Declan Rice. I don't think that Henderson's that 1-6. I think he's more probably if you play with either two sixes or he can play a little bit further forward in that formation. I would actually go Declan Rice, Phil Foden on one side, Mason Mount on the other side, and then up top, front three, you, you've got so many you can choose from. But at mm. the moment, I think a Rashford, Kane, Sterling. Now, that's going to strike fear into any opposition. Just looking at that front five, like Brett was saying, any one of them can score goals. Rashford's got nine Premier League goals this season. You've got Sterling, nine Premier League goals. You've got Harry Kane, 17. You've got Phil Foden that's scoring more goals than ever. Mason Mount's been in the best form of his career. Now, now all of a sudden, the opposition go, who do we defend here? <laughs> you've, got, you know, you've got so many players. And then you've got Declan Rice that can actually screen and be that one that, that, that stops the counter-attacking football. And then at the back, you've still got Stones and, and, and Maguire and, and these sorts of players that, you know, Quite normally they, they, they can actually deal with defending higher up the pitch. And your back four just quietly, the boring bit, who makes your back four? Luke Shaw in the form yeah. he's in at left back. Um, I would still think that he Maguire, I think, with his experience. I think that, uh, you know, the last World Cup, he was probably the informed player for, for mm. England. And uh, Stones has been in great mm. form this season. And I'll go with Trippier. I think yeah. Trippier's been really good for Atletico Madrid. I think he's, yeah. uh, he's improved a lot under Diego Simeone. And this might be a bit of a surprise because he's not a starting 11 player goalkeeper but Dean Henderson I, I would go with him before any other goalkeeper and I think it, yeah. yeah yeah so I, I think that's that's for me that would be my starting 11 if I had to pick a team tomorrow how many changes are you making to that Brett um not many uh based on um based on form only I would just um probably take out um Rashford and just go for the uh, optimistic Lingard just to start just based on uh the story of the month. Um, yeah, he, he's in great form. So, and and Rashford's a bit, been a little bit uh, mm. on and off uh, uh, recently. So, um, and and that's the whole fun thing about it, where you've got guys fighting for positions and top quality players. So, um, you know, we didn't even mention Jordan Sancho, who, who who's Jaden Sancho to come in. You know, there, there's so much quality. Luke Shaw's there, uh, definitely a left back. Um, hopefully, he stays injury free. But then you've got obviously Ben Chill. Jewel, who um, who's who's fit again and coming back in. Um, Kieran Trippier, I, I did have in just because of the lack of uh, the lack of form from Alexander Arnold, basically. Um, but uh, Reese James, I think, is doing some good stuff uh, uh, at Chelsea as well. So, um, but but the rest is, I think, it, it speaks for itself on the form with uh, with Mason Mount and Phil Foden. They are they are absolutely in fantastic form and and and. They basically pick themselves in, in in a way, and you've got Stones and, and Maguire. I think the the back two. I'll tell you what: if Jordan Henderson is not a walk up starter for England, then you know they've got their sport for choice. So, John, I'm only going off that he hasn't been playing; he's okay. been injured. How fit is he going to be as well? Yeah. Look, you'd think that uh, Henderson, if he's fit, will get into that starting eleven somewhere because of his drive that he has and and his experience. The the yeah, the, that he brings. Yeah. Fabulous, yeah, exactly. fabulous options. Fabulous options. So I ask you this, John. Um, before I ask you, is this a 
side capable of winning the Euros. We're going to talk about that for the next three months. What I want to know now, but before, know now before we see a, a bit of a, a sneak peek of all these nations over the next week is it's the John Aloisi Euros power rankings. <laughs> Based on squad depth and theory right now, so you're going to get your crystal ball out, where does this England side rank amongst the top five contenders? I would put them second. Now, the reason why I'd put them second is because I'm not totally confident in Southgate. That's the only reason. Them playing at home with their the plays they've got available, they should actually be able to win the tournament. I, I think this is their best opportunity they've had for years and years. Um, but I still think the favourites, so I'll go power ranking. I see that the, the favourites have to be France because the, 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 the squad they've got is frightening. I, I, you know, just to name a couple, you've got Varane at the back, who, who's been a leader for them for I don't know how many years. And you've got Kante in the midfield that even uh, Tuchel's getting surprised how good he is. Yeah. You know, then you've got uh, Paul Pogba, you've got Endombele, who's had an outstanding season, Sissoko, you've got uh, Rabi. You've got midfielders galore. Then up top, you've got Giroud, who always seems to perform under um, the, the, with the French national yeah, with the Champ. Then yeah. you've got look at the pace you've got: Kylian Mbappe, uh, Dembele, who's been outstanding for Barcelona. Coman, yeah. you've got players galore. Plus, they just won the World Cup. They have to be the favourites going into the tournament. I don't even think you mentioned Griezmann. Yeah, Griezmann, he's just going to slot in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is frightening. That is, so France won. Fair yep. enough. They're the world champions. England too. Bit of home yep. ground advantage. This is their great cohort. Who's knocking behind them? Spain. I think Spain again because they're also uh, – this Euro is so different because there's so many um, national sides that are going to be playing at home the majority of their games. And Spain's another one they are going to be playing in Bilbao. And under Luis Enrique, I think he's probably the best manager of the actual tournament in terms of what he's been able to achieve. And, and the, the actual squad that the, the Spanish have got is incredible as well. But the informed Jordi Alba is going to be back in the squad, which he, he's actually uh, hasn't been in the national team under Luis Enrique because Luis Enrique and, and Jordi Alba had a little bit of a falling out when they were at Barcelona together. Um, but he's actually shown that he deserves to be in there. You've got Sergio Ramos coming back in. Busquets been in great form again. Um, but the reason why I'm choosing them is not so much their squad because their midfield is incredible as well. Rodri, Thiago, Koke, Fabian of Napoli um, is, is more of Luis Enrique experience. So I think they'll be knocking at the door along with Portugal. Um, how can you go past the, the, the Portuguese national team in terms of the squad they've got, the depth they've got? And Italy, because of Mancini, I think that the Italians have got some good young talented players coming through plus with their experienced players with uh, Bonucci and Chiellini still involved in the national team. Um, you know, you can't go past sometimes that experience in tournaments. And I think that uh, it's the probably the most open Euro that I can remember, but there's at least five to, and I'm not even including Germany or yeah, Holland. I noticed that. Or yeah. Belgium. Or Belgium, who are number one in the world at the moment. What a great so, tournament. What a great uh, tournament this is shaping up to be. I think I'm going to get criticised, Dave, but that's my power <laughs> ranking, and I'm leaving out the number one team in the world, which is Belgium, the, the Dutch. Is, the beauty is, John, next week you can rewrite them all again once you've seen them play. <laughs> that's the best part about these power rankings is they're, they're movable beasts. And um, I tell you what, Portugal, I'm fascinated to watch it. 
the extra year is easy to forget that Portugal will still be reigning European champions. And they mm-hmm. have now. And I know João Felix hasn't kicked on to what we thought he might at Atletico Madrid, but there's João Felix and there's Diogo Jota and there's Bruno Fernandes all playing with Ronaldo. So I can't wait to see what they Bernardo look Silva. like. Bernardo, Bernardo Silva. Silva. Yeah. Well, and João Cancelo. And that, yeah. yeah. And another one that we haven't even mentioned and uh, is Andre Silva, who's on 21 goals in the, 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 the Bundesliga with Eintracht Frankfurt. He's, he's equal with uh, Haaland in terms of goal yeah. scoring this season in the Bundesliga. So they've got players, they've got depth in their squad. Ruben Diaz, who's been mm. probably the best defender in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. What a squad they have. It'll be great to see, though. They've been very pragmatic all these years. It'll be very interesting to see what type of football they play. But we will talk about more of that, about that next week and in the coming weeks and in the lead-up to the tournament in June because we cannot wait for that. That was just a little taste. That was just a little taste to remind you that the World Cup qualifiers are on in as more than you need over the next week on Optus Sport. We're going to end off um, with a bit of game of transfer dominoes, just a little bit of a tease as well to something that's going to be coming up a lot over the next few months, particularly into the summer as well. And uh, it involves a lot of players that are going to be involved in the Euros. Uh, talk about countries that I'm excited to watch. Norway with Odegaard feeding Haaland. But Brett, I come to you as the kickoff of the transfer dominoes. Is the big Norwegian, the goal-scoring phenom, is he the trigger to everything that's going to happen this European summer? Has he even gone past, you know, your Messi's and Mbappe's in terms, and even Ronaldo, who, who Gazzetto della Sport this morning is saying in Italy, is up for grabs. Come and take him on the fire sale. We're getting rid of everyone. Is Haaland, <laughs> is Haaland the top dog? He is. I think, I honestly think he is. Um, it, all the top clubs, all the top leagues, they want him. They want his, uh, they want his signature. Um, Where do you think it'll I go, think, Brett? I th- uh, um, if, if you have to get, if you have to put something on now, I, I, I'm going to go for Man City. Um, I do think Aguero is is, is finished at, at Man City. Unfortunately, you know, uh, an icon at, at Man City in, in in regards to what he done uh, has done. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think Haaland is, uh, is is will end up there. I think the charm of Pep, the football that they're playing, the service he will receive. From, from the wide players. He's always there in and around the box in the six-yard area as well, getting getting the goals that Man City love to score. Um, I think I think it'll be a good fit for him. Yeah, I agree. I think Haaland, look, there's a lot of talk of Real Madrid, Barcelona. I, I actually think that he's been very, very uh, good in his decision-making on where he's gone from club to club. Um, you know, I think that uh, Dortmund was a great stepping stone uh, after being in uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And and then I think that uh, Man City is the next best move for him in terms of, look, club, when you talk, talk about history, the probably the two biggest clubs, along with Manchester United, Liverpool, Juventus, and, and those clubs around Madrid and Barcelona. But in terms of current team's Playing-wise, uh, you know, you, you have to say Bayern Munich, which Lewandowski is not going anywhere. So th- that rules that one out. And Man City. And and I think that he will see that that's the best way for him to Im- keep on improving in his football under one of the best managers ever in the history of the game. And, um, and I think that his dad, having played at Man City, will have a little bit of a, you know, I, I think will help his decision-making in terms of where he goes. 
spare me. So Manchester City might win the quadruple and then sign Erling Haaland. <laughs> I'm, I'm, leave, I'm, I'm retiring. No more gagging pods next year if that happens. You heard it here. You heard it here. So then what but if there's to- one thing that they have lacked this season, and, and it was especially early on, if you look at the, what's got them through a lot of the games has been their defensive quality in terms mm. of not conceding much. They've dominated games, but not all the time put the opposition to the sword. They've lacked a striker. Aguero has been out quite a bit in terms of injuries. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus, you can't rely on to be a regular starter. Whereas Haaland, can you imagine Haaland in that team? They'll be winning 4-5-0 every week. I just did it. It just gave me nightmares. I said I'm giving up. (laughs) (laughs) So the trigger from there, we're not going to go the whole domino cart falling today. We'll spare that for another time. But um, there's a stack of names. And we're talking, it looks like Messi will stay. But the Ronaldo-Juventus narrative is a big one. We're going to keep talking about that because they've got a lot to sort out. Mbappe's future is not better down there. Madrid are still sniffing. Aguero, does he go to Barcelona? Where does Kane go? You know, you touched on that. It's a big decision for the club, John. Mohamed Salah, does he stay at Liverpool? Jaden Sancho, does he leave Dortmund? Sergio Ramos, does he stay at Madrid? Which one each from both of you, what's the big, if, if Haaland is the headline, what's the next cab off the rank? I would go for, I would go for Kane to Man United. Um, wow. I think, I think if Mourinho does stay, obviously going back to Mourinho, um, Solskjaer and Man United missed the boat with Holland. Um, and, and I think they will be uh, ruining that uh, uh, decision, or if it was a decision. Um, yeah, for not, you know, basically bending over backwards in everything because he's, he's, it's turned to be, it turned out to be a, uh, you know, the wrong way because he won't go to Man United. Um, but I think if they do need an out-and-out striker, and I think, uh, you know, Kane's the next best uh, in-form striker uh, besides Haaland, who's, I think, achievable in getting, and, and yeah, that would be my pick. Yeah, look, uh, I did have Kane possibly to Man United. Will Kane want to go to another Premier League side? That's the only thing that I question. Yeah. Do uh, Does Real Madrid or... Barcelona have the money to buy Kane. That's another thing because they're the only other two clubs I think that he could go to. My bet is Mbappe going to Real Madrid. I I actually think that Mbappe by now would have signed another deal uh, at uh, PSG. I don't think that he will stay. And and Real Madrid have to make a splash. So if Haaland's going to Man City... Real Madrid need to get someone that's on that size in terms of a major signing. Um, They have been saying that Real Madrid will go back and get uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I think that would be a mistake if they did that. I think that uh, the next best thing is go for Mbappe. You've already got Benzema up top in that number nine position, Mbappe a little bit more on the left. And, uh, and then they can start to make waves in terms of their, you know, all right, we're back as one of the biggest clubs in Europe again. I think uh, I think it might not be far off because he's been actually a little bit coy in regards to his his, his contract extension with PSG uh, in, in the last couple of interviews. So uh, Real Madrid do always love a marquee signing as well. So um, and if Haaland does go to 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 the Premier League, then I, I think there's only one other, and, and that is Mbappe. So um, I, I think it could be uh, it could be on the cards as well. And that might wake Eden Hazard up from his slumber as well, which is needed because they've had one, their last Galactico signing has not gone to plan. I wonder whether the Premier League goal scoring record is something that Kane will weigh up. But gosh, I just can't see him playing against Tottenham. I wonder if he's maybe a backup plan if an Mbappe or a Haaland doesn't work for Barca or Madrid as well. So, uh, you know what? This is why 
we try to stay away from the nonsense of transfers, but when you have a list like this, that is why the next few months we're going to have the Euros Festival and we're going to have the Transfer Circus. It's going to be absolutely wild and who knows what next season looks like. Um, and who knows what who can afford? That's another issue as well that we'll have to get into. Gents, I'm conscious of time. We'll leave it there, but that was at a great time today. It's been great to catch up with you both and uh, might be a quiet week, but there's still plenty to talk about in the world of football. Thanks, mate. It was good to be on. Thanks, Dave. A pleasure again. I can't wait to Champions League. When's that coming up? Two weeks? Champions League in a couple of weeks. Next week, you're going to have five different clubs in your teams in your power rankings as well. We're going to revise that. We're going Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, Hungary, a couple oh. others. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Hungary being in there, Dave. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can force over the next week. Jens, I had a great time. And to everyone that listened out there, thanks for listening as ever. Um, it's been a bit different because we've done a few match day editions over the last couple of weeks, but it's been, been great to be back with you uh, for your, your old school gag and pod today. We'll do it again next week before the Champions League returns. And as ever, until the next gag and pod, enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.